Hi, this is Marilyn Ball, your host of Speaking of Travel, and I'm here today in Hendersonville, North Carolina, with Jeff Miller and Mary Beth Burns. We're here to talk about the Blue Ridge Honor Flight. I was at the Asheville Regional Airport not too long ago, and this was happening, and I wanted to find out more. So, Jeff, why don't you start and tell us a little bit about the history of the Blue Ridge Honor Flight? Okay, it actually started out back in 2006, and we were called Honor Air at that time. And we just established this to uh, honor our World War II veterans that lived in this area originally. But when we started bouncing around the thought of how we could take a lot of World War II veterans up to Washington, we also realized that it would there was a good chance it would catch on possibly around the country. So... We kept that in mind, but it all kind of started by growing up in a home that was extremely patriotic. My father was a World War II veteran. He was in the Navy, and my mother lost a brother in uh, World War II. He was a B-24 pilot flying with the 15th Air out of Italy, and he was killed uh, June 16, 1944, on a bombing run in Bratislava, Czechoslovakia. So I grew up in a very patriotic home. Everybody in our neighborhood, with exception to two groups, two families, were World War II veterans, and they were World War I veterans. So uh, everybody took care of each other. There was a real uh, camaraderie amongst them that I saw into that generation, which I think is properly called the greatest generation. So my parents, my father died the last day of 2003, prior to the World War II Memorial being built. My mother had Alzheimer's, and she died three years later and never got to see the World War II Memorial. And when they passed away, my mom had this trunk that was always off limits for me growing up. And I thought, well, she's passed now. I can look. And I opened it up, and I found the flag that was on my uncle's casket. He was one of four buried in one casket uh, because of the remains being uh, such that they really couldn't separate and identify. So they each each family got a casket. And they were buried in St. Louis, so it would be a central point. They were repatriated after the war. But I found letters from my mother to H.B., is his name, Harold B. Drake, and letters from H.B. to Mom during the war. I found a flight log, which was kind of like his diary, and I found my mother's diary. And I found... Uh, several other things, the telegram uh, telling the family that he was missing, and then the telegram eventually telling that he'd been killed in action. And then I also found where they were charter members of the World War II Memorial to be built, as I was, and we never talked about it, and they never got to see it. So that's the catalyst. I was very frustrated that they didn't get to see it. But back in 2006, there were a lot of these guys alive. And that's when a group of us, Mary Beth uh, included, uh, came together to create what was then called uh, Honor Air, which was going to be all chartering big jets to fly up to D.C. Uh, and back in one day so the veterans could see their memorial. And we knew we had to move it pretty fast because the window was closing. And that's where it started. So did you go to the um, airlines and ask them to help you in 
putting this all together? We went everywhere. It's kind of tough as a dry cleaner to go try to charter a big jet. Uh, you got a lot of funny looks. We went all over the place. We went online. We pulled it. And eventually, um, a friend of ours uh, named Tom Apodaca, who was a state senator at the time, told us we should try a gentleman named Chuck Allen with uh, U.S. Airways. And I made a phone call to Chuck. We had a very uh, funny conversation. Turned out his his dad was also a World War II veteran. We used that line quite a bit. When I was asking him, he, he's, he's like, okay, you in the charter business? No. Are you in the travel business? No. What do you do? I'm a dry cleaner. And there was dead silence. And I said, how old are you? And he told me. And I said, I bet your dad and maybe your mom, too, World War II veterans. And he goes, yeah. I said, do they deserve to see the memorial? And he said, I'll call you back. And that started a really great relationship. That was our first flight was September 23rd, 2006. We did one the next day also, up and back, up and back. And then we flew again in November. So 2006 was when we first started chartering with U.S. Airways, and we were exclusive with them. Um, Up until now, obviously, they became American Airlines. But a lot of other groups started picking up on how we did it. We shared, you know, we had a thing called um, Honor Air for Dummies. And then we, if you got through that first seven page, then we had about a 40-page um just a a how-to that we would share and as i think coming into this year uh, with american airlines we've uh, chartered uh, 700 jets with them now and the last conversation i had with them we're their number one charter but we're running into trouble right now getting aircraft because they're so busy so we're having to get a little more creative this time we're going to be flying in may with Allegiant Airline, and we're very excited about working with them. Well, Mary Beth, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role here and your relationship with Jeff and and your role as part of this whole uh, honor flight, Blue Ridge Honor Flight is what it's called, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I had known Jeff for a while before this started, and my husband and I own a marketing business here in town, and we had done some work for Jeff. And so when he started this program, he asked me to help out with some publicity and marketing. And um, for me, it was really exciting to be able to do that because I grew up with my grandmother living with us, and she had brothers in the war, and um, my dad was extremely patriotic as well and always grew up talking about history and respecting our veterans in the military so um, it was very rewarding for me to be able to be a part of it so at this point I am actually vice president of the board of Blue Ridge Honor Flight and still help with a lot of the marketing and publicity and other things as well but um, it's just been an amazing experience to be able to honor all of our veterans and to build relationships with not only the board members but with the people that fly with us so it's been awesome well, let me ask you, uh, Jeff, I'll ask you, you said there were, what did you say, 700 flights? That's just with one airline that we've done since 2006. Southwest has been a phenomenal partner in this, uh, giving us anywhere from one year 2,000 unrestricted seats to, I think, 800 a year right now. Uh, they've, they've been incredible. 
and, and we're very appreciative of that. So give me an idea of how many veterans that equates who have been on these flights to go up to the memorial. We can confirm through our efforts that we've flown over 200,000. And if you look at the uh, – and that's that's the groups that are a member of what is called the Honor Flight Network, which is the mothership of, of all of these – and there's so many groups. There's a great group that flies out of Knoxville. A gentleman named Eddie Manus is ahead of it. It's, uh, it's called Knoxville Honor Air. They took the name we had here. The national group is called Honor Flight Network, and that was a combination of a group out of Ohio uh, run by Earl Morris that was the very first person I ever heard of doing this. He was a pilot, and he would put two people in his plane and fly them. And then we started on our flight, and in 2007, we merged those two groups and formed what is now called the Honor Flight Network, which is there to help groups start up, maintain their, uh, you know, their, their mission. We negotiate prices on buses and meals and hotels for groups that have to spend the night that come, say, from west of the Mississippi. But if you include all the ones... Uh, the groups that never did officially become a part of the Honor Flight Network, it's, it's all over a quarter million veterans now. Wow, that's staggering. I mean, it really is. And, and I want to talk a little bit about um, what it's like when, uh, when everybody is, is gathered at the airport and you're getting ready to leave. And you, I'm sure you've had preparation and, and communication and uh, connecting with everybody. But give us an, an idea, Mary Beth, when you're at the airport, just what is the, the vibe there? What's I think so great about it is it's it's kind of like they're all kids in a candy shop, you know, Christmas time. They're just so excited. And what's really neat is all our team leaders and our board members, they've they've already gotten to know or at least talk on the phone to these veterans. And um, so there's already this sort of relationship going on and everybody sits and talks and shares pictures in fact jeff and i were just talking before we started the podcast about the one of the very first flights um the, the second flight actually sitting there with the war, world war ii veterans sharing pictures with each other these guys didn't even know each other and they were sharing all these personal stories and i just went home in tears i was just floored by the relationships that were built so quickly and we continue to see that i mean you know I think people would expect that with war, World War II, but even as we've moved on to bring Korean War veterans and now Vietnam War veterans, um, that they're able to open up to each other and and share those experiences and hopefully have some healing. Well, let's talk about that for just a minute because uh, I grew up also in a patriotic family. Uh, my father was in the war, um, came home and really never talked about it. Life went on and um, families were built and, uh, you know, our lives went on. And I'm sure that these men and women who are coming and uh, experiencing this incredible opportunity, uh, maybe for the very first time, are starting to open up a little bit and talk about uh, some of the experiences they've had or just are so moved by the whole experience that they're able to um, maybe cry. I don't know. what What's going on with them, Jeff? 
you see the you see everything uh it's you'll see tears you know when we first started doing this we thought it was going to be a whole lot of crying and we bought this huge case of the little packets of tissue well we still have some left and that's 12 years ago um we found out that yeah there's going to be some emotional times especially at arlington national cemetery when we go there but for the most part speaking of the world war ii veterans primarily right now we saw them walking around like they were 18 and 19 years old again. Their backs were straighter. Their, you know, their balance was better. They had a big smile on their face. You see them with their arms around each other, and some of them with just helping each other stabilize. It's. It, I learned after a while, I'm the technical guy. I have to make sure we hit all our marks. We. You know, we we leave when we're supposed to. We leave with everyone we're supposed to. And first few trips, I didn't really get, I'd get back and I didn't really have much of a memory other than the welcome home, which was always a big deal at the airport. So at some point, I made myself, myself start going and getting a vantage point and just watching. And that's when you really get to soak it up. And and you see these guys trading stories. And I have seen them when they're around. And one would be really tearful, really crying and talking about something that happened. And one I, I remember really well, he was one of the coxswains, the pilots, the driver of these uh, LSTs that were going into landings. And he was ordered to take a certain path. And the first two he went in, everybody on his landing craft was killed. And... He, he watched it. He had to go back and get another one to come back. So he told whoever he was answering to he was going to change his path. And the person said, no, you're not. You have to stay the same way. And he did it anyway. And he got past this sandbar where he could get him in at an angle. And all of them got off his ship. Well, then he was court-martialed for disobeying orders. But they ended up dropping it, and all this time he thought he'd fail because he had, you know, had this log. And these guys said, man, how can you even feel bad about the court-martial when all you were doing was saving lives? Remember the—I think he took eight more returns in, and they made it. He goes, remember those eight. And it was like this burden had been lifted off of him. And that's just one example. I mean, I've been doing this going on 13 years now, and I'm really bad to listen to stories, and that was part of the reason wanting to do it. But there's so many moments Mary Beth touched on some healing that, yeah, we started this to honor people, but we're continuing it as we get into the Korean War veterans were just ignored. I mean, it's forgotten war. And they felt like they were going to be forgotten in the honor flights. Well, they haven't been. Uh, the Vietnam veterans, a whole different thing. Um, they just didn't talk at all. They didn't wear the uniforms until recently. You didn't see them wearing their caps that says Vietnam veteran. And I really believe that honor flight has had a big role in bringing these guys kind of out of the shadows and letting them understand that people do really appreciate their service. You know, they did what they were told to do. And very few of them were volunteers. Most were drafted. Some were volunteers, but they volunteered to serve their country. 
and they did what they were told. And we need to put whatever political and um, certain emotional tags that that war was given aside and just remember that there's over 58,000 of them didn't come home. Well, give me an idea of what a typical day is like. Uh, Mary Beth, you touched on what it's like when you get to the airport and they're like kids in a candy store. Give us an idea of what what the agenda is like for them from the time that you get to Washington uh, and then you get back on the plane. Right. It's it's a whirlwind tour, actually, and they get to see a lot of amazing things that they wouldn't get to see if they weren't with us, which makes it really special for them. But we start out at the airport at 530 in the morning, and the flight flight usually takes off around 8 o'clock. We get to D.C. around 9. Um, and then just depending on when we can get appointments in certain places, we try to hit – well, we do hit um, – Arlington Cemetery and we see the changing of the guard and then we usually go to the Korean War Memorial the Vietnam War Memorial and Lincoln and we take the veterans to each of their respective places and we do a, a wreath laying ceremony there and that's always very touching and they really appreciate that they really appreciate the recognition and they're usually addressed by um, a general somebody that's really um, makes them feel like they're special and important and that means a lot to them and then uh from there we go to world war ii and we give special medals to the veterans and we still have world war ii veterans coming with us we had three with us the last trip and we had gosh probably 20 well i know we had 20 not too long ago this one yeah so um that's pretty amazing and then um, we give we feed them lunch. So we're sometimes on the bus feeding them lunch, and we get a wonderful tour guide on every bus. So, And we get a police escort all over D.C. So we do not stop for anything. We go up on the curbs. If there's a traffic jam, we're going through it. I mean, it's, it's awesome, and I think that's a real treat for them, too. Um, and then in the evening, we get them dinner, uh, usually now before the flight. And then we get on the flight, and we have what we call mail call on the way home. And so these guys are getting... And women are getting envelopes from family, friends, school children, neighbors, thanking them for their service. And I mean, that's really amazing. They just they cry and they're reading these letters and they're talking to each other about it. And it's it's great. And then, of course, there's the welcome home when we get back. And I think Jeff would be really appropriate to talk a little bit more about that and some of the things he's seen with the welcome homes. Well, Jeff, let's do talk about the welcome homes because I've seen video. I've um, I've heard about it since I started doing more research. And tell us how that even unfolds. Sure, we have a, a guy that works with us named Steve Taylor that works closely with uh, the folks at the Asheville Airport. Now we realize and totally understand that this is the part of the day that we have the least control over we can't make people show up at the airport to welcome these veterans home they have to want to be there we can put the word out give the opportunity but the folks have to really want to do it and this last flight we had um, 90 vietnam veterans on it was the first flight that was you know solely focused on the vietnam veterans and as mary beth said we had um three World War II and seven Korea as well as I remember. And 
when we get there at the airport, uh, the airport has a water cannon salute for them, which is the greatest honor an airport can give a plane and his crew. And we dock up, they come off, and then we have an incredible group of uh, bagpipers that pipe these guys in, lead them in, World War II first, Korean War veterans, and we have these signs carried by scouts leading them in, and then our Vietnam veterans come in. And this last time we had over a thousand people there. It was, uh, it was incredible. It was just the best. Uh, we can't thank the Asheville Airport enough. They've actually uh, decided to make it an event now, as opposed to here's the space to do it. They had a stage set up. They were given announcements how far out the flight was. They had a band. Uh, Tina has has just been great Kivon the security head of the security out there is great Lou I mean they they're part of the whole family and this time with Allegiant it's a new thing for us we actually have to fly into BWI as opposed to Reagan but we're going to make that all part of the event uh, we're going to have motorcycle escorts from uh, BWI into the city where the police will pick it up and when we come back, uh, it's it's going to be basically a party, and the more the merrier. May fourth, May fourth, two thousand nineteen. That's is a special time. Let's talk just a little bit about um, the differences. You know, we're we're talking about the World War Two vets. Um, they're still they're still there, um, and the Korean War. They're there and they're finally being recognized let's touch a little bit on the vietnam vets because that's a different uh it was a different war it was a different generation and you talk about a thousand people being there to uh to cheer them home i remember because i was of that age uh these guys coming home and there wasn't anybody there cheering them on so what's let's talk a little bit about how that feels when you get back mary beth why don't you talk about that well before i get into when we come home i think it's important to recognize too that it wasn't just that they weren't welcomed but if they were welcomed it was usually maybe with violence or spitting getting um, spat upon um being threatened so to hear those types of stories from those veterans and how much that hurt uh when we come back when we came back this last time it was amazing to just see them cry and just with joy that they they couldn't believe that the people were there to see them and thank them so that was really great it's a whole it i mean what's happening here is just such a beautiful it's almost miraculous well, I think what's something that a couple of people have said to Jeff is that it's been a healing process and that they couldn't get rid of all of the bad memories, but they could, as Jeff says, they can put good ones, good new ones on top of it. And that's what it's been able to do for them. Well, let's, um, Mary Beth, why don't you tell us too, how can people get more information uh, to get tuned in to what's going on here? So we have a website, www.blueridgehonorflight.com, and we also have a Facebook page. So we'd love for people to like us on Facebook, and we're posting something about every other day. Um, And then they can always call me, and I can give you the number at the end so that people can write that down. But going to the website, you're going to get everything you need. It's got the applications on there. It's got the contact numbers. You can see some of the videos that we have. 
Um, so any type of information you might need about the flight is on the website. www.blueridgehonorflight.com That is great. Well, Jeff, let me ask you, where where do you see this going, let's say, in the next five years? Next five years, I think we're going to be busy flying uh, Vietnam War veterans. I really do. There's there's so many of them. Uh, this is a very patriotic area of the country. We have a lot here. As more of the Vietnam veterans experience it and go back and share that experience with some that were more reluctant. You know, I've had some, well, World War II also, uh, tell me they just don't ever want to rekindle any memories and they don't want to do it. Some don't want to fly. You know, there's there's... And those, we don't want to force it, but we'll we'll do some other things for them. But I see us uh, continuing to fly the Vietnam War veterans and working with even some of the more contemporary uh, veterans that have experienced some trouble, PTSD. We're, we're working on that at a national level to see how we can work our flights to uh, incorporate some of these and we've already done it to test it and it's working out really well when you bring them in with these guys that have been dealing with PTSD for 50 years and learned how to deal with it and stuff and you put them together then they can see that there are people that can get through this and they, 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 they come out better for it so I see us doing that and you know, that's as exciting as anything. There's a new memorial that is scheduled to be built for Desert Storm. And I don't think you have to have an exact memorial built for every war or, uh, you know, combat event. These folks can enjoy uh, a day of honor is what we call it. We don't call it just the World War II honor flight thing. This is a day of honor. It's their personal day of honor. And the bonds that are built between the guardians, which are like you and I, that go and escort a veteran, they're really important. Um, I could tell you stories about those bonds. They're incredible. Well, why don't you tell us a story about the bonds? I'm going to tell you one right off the bat, and then we'll bounce a few back and forth. But the one of a guardian's relationship with a veteran that I'll never forget, and Mike Murdoch, our veteran service officer here in Henderson County, that was absolutely critical in making all of this work. He helped us get every veteran, every guardian, and all that. He told me one day that there was a veteran and his wife that had a child born very late in life and the child was born severely handicapped and they were in their 50s and this child they loved this child and they did not know what was going to happen when they were gone and the relationship between the guardian that escort that day for that gentleman became so strong he became the legal guardian for that child and when they passed he took care of that child, and the parents could go knowing that child never had to worry again. wasn't a child anymore, was, you know. But that one thing, I'll never forget. That's the best I've told it, actually, without cracking a little bit. But they knew when they died that, you know, their son was good. 
and he was. Wow, that is amazing. And where do you get to hear these kind of stories? I mean, right? Mary Beth, why don't you give us one that you that you witnessed? Well, the most recent was this last trip. We had a Vietnam War veteran named Andy, and he was walking from the Vietnam War Memorial to the Korean War Memorial, and he happened to pass a Vietnamese gentleman with his daughter, and he recognized that he was Vietnamese, so he spoke a greeting in Vietnamese to them, and they stopped, and the girls, the daughter started translating for them, and they both found out that they were in the same battle against each other in Vietnam. And so the Vietnamese gentleman kind of motioned to his leg that he had been shot and basically said, you know, did you shoot me? He said, oh, no, I didn't shoot you. I promise. And they ended up saying to each other, I'm really glad that you made it through. And they gave each other a hug and they took pictures together. That blows my mind. It's very moving. And, and it's such a way to, like you say, to honor the service that these men and women uh, sacrificed for our country, and and by doing this, uh, you are you are really helping, like you said, heal uh, generations of people. I I don't know how I I mean how do you both? I'm just curious. It's so moving, and you've got the, and it's so emotional. Um, it, does that give you like the inertia to just keep going and doing it more and more? Oh, it's addictive. There's no question. It's it's very addictive, and it, it's real hard to let go because you know there's others that need that same experience, and you just thank God every day that you know there's people like Mary Beth and like so many people on our our committee that are willing to step up and there's 130 something hubs across the country in 42 states that are willing to do it because it's not easy it's another job that you know you start figuring out how much time you spend on it and but it's the day you get to fly and the day you get to experience it it's just a high, like it's a, you, you can't. It's hard to believe that it's legal. It's so good, uh, but it is. <laughs> well, and it, it the addiction part I could definitely see. the The unfortunate part is that your addiction can be fed and fed and fed for forever. It seems because there's just so many people that are affected by war and and are here. We we just feel really honored to be able to do our part, our small part in that. And I, I wanted to tell one story about a gentleman that um, passed away almost two years ago. His name was General Frank Blazy, and he meant so much to me because he was in Rotary with me, and we've become really close friends. And I was going to get to be his guardian, um, oh, I guess it was in May of the one before that and he suddenly came down sick two days before we left and he was devastated that we didn't he didn't get to go but we promised each other that he would get to go on that next flight and he was 92 at the time and so there were a lot of concerns whether he was going to make it because his health was going downhill and he did we did it and I'll never forget we were leaving Arlington Cemetery and I was pushing him in the wheelchair and he started to cry and I put my hand on his shoulder I said what's what's wrong and he said I just think about all the boys that didn't get to come home and that's what floors me very often is it's not about them it's always about 
those who didn't come back or that best friend that they made that did come back, but it's never about them. And that's really made an impact on my life, I think. Well, I think hearing these stories and filling in the community and the country and even the world that this is going on, um, the more Mary Beth that, that you can get the word out and share these stories and Jeff to to be able to sit here and um, you know you yeah, oh absolutely I, I'd like to come back and just do a whole hour of stories we had this conversation before you got here we want to put together a talk with you know photographs slides that we could just do not talk about the history just the stories but a couple of trips ago, we had a gentleman uh, on on the bus with us, and he said, my wife is buried at Arlington. She had passed before him by a year or so, and he had, um, you know, prior to our trip, he goes, is there any way I could get over to see her? And I'm like, oh, heck yeah, we can do that. We'll figure that out. And I called uh, a gentleman named Mike Curtis, and I, I really want to speak Mike's name. He is uh, a civilian contact at Arlington National Cemetery uh, works with the old guard there big guy just uh, with a heart of gold and I called Mike and I told him what was going on he goes oh man when are you going to be here I says about four o'clock he goes I'm supposed to be gone man he goes I don't have anybody to get him there so I'll just stay here and do it myself so we pull up there there's big Mike waiting we're we're in a big hurry because we wanted to get Mr. Boone to see, to get to visit his wife, and also get back in time to see the changing of the guard. So we were going fast. So we scooped up Mr. Boone, who had to be in a wheelchair, he couldn't walk. We we get him in the van. Uh, we get his um, our tour guide actually went along with him because she knows a lot about Arlington, and she's about as little as Mary Beth and Big Mike, and. I'm staying there. I'm going to wait and grab him as soon as he gets back, scoot him up there. Well, they pull off, and I sit down in his wheelchair. And I'm like, oh, they really should have had a wheelchair in that van. But I said, okay, maybe it's just close, and Mike, Mike didn't need it. Well, about 20 minutes later, they come ripping back in, and they're laughing. And they go, I said, you get to see it? Oh, yeah, we got to see it. He says, but we forgot the wheelchair. I said, well, how far was it? He says, about 50 yards. I said, well, how'd you get him there? And the little girl looked over, Laura looks over at me, and she says, Mike carried him. Mike put this man that was way over 200 pounds on his back and carried him from the road to the grave and held him up so he could visit his wife. That's the type of people that we deal with. The old guard... When they're changing the guard and all our veterans are lined up, I urge you to, if you're there and one of our groups are there, listen to the guard go by our veterans and listen to them drag their heel. Now, they they don't do that because they're sloppy. That's the biggest sign of honor they can give someone is to drag their heel as they go by them and still not break character. You know, they have to stick to a certain stride and everything, but they'll drag their heel. And it's just the people up there in, in Washington, the park police are incredible. We worked out a deal so we could pay them because we had so many. They were doing it for free. 
but we had so many coming in we had to sit down and work out a deal and it's the best bargain in washington dc and we couldn't do it without them uh, it, it's just the people really want to be a part well i think more and more people are going to want to be a part as they learn about what you're doing and and word gets out and and spreads i can't thank you both enough for sharing the stories the history uh mary beth tell us again how we can find out more and get in touch you can go to our website blueridgehonorflight.com and then you also have the facebook page we have our facebook page and i'm going to give you my phone number 828-388- Four 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 eight. So if anybody has any questions or concerns, they can give me a call. Sounds great. Jeff, thank you so much. It's really been an honor to be here with you. Oh, this is fun. Thanks very much. And Vietnam veterans, Korean War veterans, World War II veterans, if you haven't traveled with us, you haven't seen it like we want you to see it, please uh, go to our website, send in an application, and uh, let's get the process going. Sounds great. Thank you both, Mary Beth Burns and Jeff Miller.